upright. Colossians 3, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And uh, we'll be in from verse 8 down through verse 14 this morning. And we're going to begin reading together in verse 8 and then read responsibly every other verse. We'll read together. And so uh, verse 8 with uh, everyone together. Here we go. Ready? But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness." We're going to begin a series this morning entitled The Properties of Love. Over the next four or five Sundays, we'll look at several different characteristics or properties of what biblical, godly love is. The society has taught us and told us uh, the wrong definition of love. And uh, Satan is a master at taking what God says and mixing it with a lie. And so in all of our definition of love, there is a little bit of truth and a little bit of error, or a whole lot of truth, and a whole lot of error. And so we want to make sure we we purge away the sinful definition of love and have a godly definition of how we love Him and how we love each other. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Love is Charitable. Love is Charitable. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray this year that we would get our thought processes on this concept of love straightened out. It is... Uh, it is, and all of the commandments revolve around that idea of love. It is the most important commandment in the Bible. And so, Lord, help us to do it in a way that pleases you. Help us, Lord, to be focused in and understand the message. Lord, um, use me as a vessel. It's not about me. It's never been about me. It's not been about any of us. It's about you. Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. You are the shepherd of this church. I just am simply a messenger this morning. And so may you receive the credit and glory and honor for anything that good that comes out of uh, the service today. And Lord, would you help us as we look at this topic to do so with an open heart in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, back in July and August, I began to pray about what the theme for our church would be in 2020. And the longer I prayed about it, I knew it needed to be something around love. And um, uh, the Lord helped me settle on this theme of love works. And I I went away uh, in December, the beginning of December. I normally go away in October, but with just a bunch of events that happened in the church, it pushed my trip, trip back. And I put my preaching calendar together in Oct, or rather in the beginning of December. And so um, uh, this sermon was scheduled for today, uh, several months ago. And I believe that uh, the sermon today is going to be a great help uh, to many, uh, many of you. The, the, the idea there of love works, our theme this year, love works. It has a double meaning. The term there, love works, or our theme has a double meaning. Love works in the sense that it works if we put it to work. 
we've got to make the effort to love people. And if we're not going to go out and love people and love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're not going to love our neighbor as ourselves, even preferring them ahead of ourselves as other scriptures teach, then love isn't going to work. Love only works if you put it to work. We looked at this last week, but the emotion of love follows the action of love. And so I've got to love others if I'm going to expect to feel that I love them. I've got to put in the work to love God if I'm going to feel that love. But the other meaning there of love works is that it is effective. Love is effective. Love brings change. Love alters lives. Love, when done God's way, can take a broken person, a broken situation, and can transform that person or that situation for the better. Now, uh, have you ever noticed how generic the word love is in the English language? It's a very broad, very generic word. I can uh, look at my wife and see her doing something that is um, uh, uh, that I appreciate deeply and, and, and just take a few moments and meditate on how wonderful she is and really feel warm and fuzzy inside. Maybe she's just done something for me and made me feel uh, special. And I can look her direction and gaze her direction and I can say from a heart, I can say, boy, I sure do love you. I love you. And then five minutes later, I stumble into the kitchen and I open up the freezer and I take out a tub of ice cream and I scoop the ice cream in the bowl and I look down at that ice cream and say, I love ice cream. (laughs) Can you see how the word is maybe too generic? It's too generic. Oftentimes I have told my wife that I feel as though language provides a barrier for me uh, in that I'm not able to express to her how I actually feel. Um, love The word love, again, because it's so generic and is, is used and thrown around so, uh, I will say oftentimes in a shallow manner, and just used in so many different ways, it doesn't truly express my feelings uh, toward her. And I'm sure every married, happily married person here this morning can understand that. Um, a family member and a food item really honestly need different words to describe the affection felt. Although some of you really love ice cream. Amen? Um, so, so then there are different, not only are there different types of love, or rather different levels of love, there are also different types of love. Now, all of the following statements from me are true. I love God. I love my wife. I love my children. And I love my brothers and sisters. But I do not love God the way I love my wife. There are two different types of love. I do not love my brother the way that I love my children. I do not love my sister the way that I love my wife. Amen? It's a completely different love. Um, uh, I, I was forced to kiss my sister on the cheek when I was a child. I enjoy kissing my wife on the cheek. They are two completely different types uh, of love. Uh, the English language, in the English language, we rely on context to make clear What we mean to make clear what we mean. The New Testament was not written in English. How many of you are like, what? It wasn't? 
The Bible wasn't written in English. No, it was written in Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And the New Testament was written in Greek. In the Greek language, there are several different uh, words that are translated into our word love. Now, stay with me here. This is important to set up uh, our sermon this morning to understand that love is charitable. And I would recommend that you maybe find a spot on your bulletin there where you can take notes to write these types of love uh, Greek words down. The first one, I mentioned these last week, but we'll elaborate a little more today. The first one is the word agape. Agape, that's spelled A-G-A-P-E, agape. Um, Agape is sometimes translated love, and other times it is translated into the word charity. It describes a divine love, a godly love. Last week we looked eloquently at John 3.16. John 3.16 love is an agape love. This is a divine love. This is God, the divine being, looked down at humanity in their broken state and saying they don't deserve my love, but I'm going to be charitable their direction. I'm going to give selflessly to them. Uh, oftentimes defined love and sometimes defined charity. The other type of love you find in the New Testament in the Greek language is the word phileo. Phileo, uh, where we get filet mignon from. Amen? That's not true. Um, I'm hungry this morning. You have to forgive me. Phileo. Uh, P-H-I-L-E-O. Uh, has nothing to do with filet mignon. Some of you are going to be thinking about steak all, all through the message. Focus. Amen. Focus. Uh, phileo, this is funny. Phileo is translated into English as the word uh, love, and then sometimes it's translated as the word kisseth. Kisseth. You think, what? Kisseth. Let me explain. Uh, the word phileo describes a brotherly love or a love between brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, this is not my custom. However, I have noticed that this is some of your custom, all right? Specifically, Miss Pauline, all right? This is really Miss Pauline's custom, and that is to greet one another with a holy kiss. Miss Pauline, I think she kisses the birds in the, in the, in the trees. She just kisses everybody and everything that comes by, and I have to keep the tissue in my pocket to wipe the pink lipstick off my cheeks, amen? Uh, but we love Miss Pauline, and she's not the only one. She's just the one I chose to pick on this morning. There are others of you here that uh, you don't mean anything romantic by it, but you follow the Old Testament custom of greeting one another with a holy kiss. And uh, that is a, a cultural thing. That's not something I particularly practice uh, or want to necessarily practice. I'm okay with going along with it as long as you're old enough to be my grandmother. Amen? Uh, we're good there. Outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, but um, uh, the word phileo means a brotherly love, a brotherly love. This is loving your brother. This is a, a Christian love one to the other. The other type of love you find in the New Testament is the word eros, E-R-O-S, Greek word eros. And uh, uh, to just uh, be PG this morning, it's translated into English in terms that describe a romantic love between a man and a woman. This is that kindle, that, uh, that flame in your marriage uh, that, uh, that is sexual in nature. That is an eros type love where we get our English word erotic. But agape, phileo, and eros. Again, the title of the message this morning is this, love is Charitable. It is charitable. Meaning, to love others is to give them or show them the love of God. It is to take the love 
that God has shown us and then give that love to others around us. Unfortunately, we struggle to love each other. We struggle to love each other. Too often we are selfish and we put ourselves first and in the process we hurt others. A poet very grimly put it this way, They say the world is round and yet I often think it's square. So many little hurts we get from corners here and there. But there's one truth in life I found while journeying east and west. The only folks we really wound are those we love the best. We flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guests and deal full uh, many a thoughtless blow to those we love the best. Hey, I'm not preaching down to anyone this morning. I'm guilty of this as much as the next person where I'm thoughtless in my action and I do something or say something or have a tone of voice or have an action and it deeply cuts, it hurts, it wounds. And that is the, that is rather the opposite uh, or the antithesis of, of a charitable agape love. Instead, the Christian ought to live by the poem uh, uh, entitled Others, Lord, help me live from day to day. In such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts uh, be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work, new work in heavens begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like thee. What is godly love? Love is charity. Charity is Agape or divine love. Charity is love that prefers others even at your own hurt. Charity puts others first. I uh, went and I looked at the word agape in scripture every time it's used in the Bible. Again, sometimes translated love. In fact, oftentimes translated love and sometimes translated charity. And here's what I found is that when the word agape in scripture is found, it always involves God either commanding us or showing us how to prefer others ahead of ourselves. We're going to look at five thoughts this morning from Colossians 3. We're going to look at Colossians 3 expositorily from verse 8 down through verse 14. Obviously, you can't preach on charity without referencing 1 Corinthians 13. I would encourage you to find 1 Corinthians 13 now and put a marker there because we'll go back and forth between Colossians 8 and 1 Corinthians 13. A little later in the sermon, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter number 4. So those three places, if you mark them now, you'll get by much quicker as we move along here, but um, Colossians 3, we'll go through verse by verse, verse 8 through verse 14, and I believe that the thrust of this passage is the word charity. Let's look at five thoughts this morning about this idea that love is charitable as we look at the first characteristic of what love is, or first property. Number one, notice charity's placement. Charity's placement. Go back with me to Colossians chapter 3, and look at verse number 8. 
Notice there it says, but now ye also put off, put off, or take these things off. Put them away from you. Put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There are some things that just come natural to us, aren't there? I mean, natural to our flesh. I mean, natural to our base, fallen, guttural state. What are those things? Anger. Anger. Wrath. Blasphemy. Uh, malice. You know what malice is? That word malice means hateful feeling. Hateful feeling. I looked up the word this week. Uh, it means to have a hateful or ugly feeling towards someone. You know, that's a sin. It's a sin to be have an ugly feeling towards someone. You say, well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. But I know what Jesus did for me and I know what he did for you. And I know that if I can focus on the love of God, I can somehow get perspective to help me deal with hateful, ugly feelings inside of me. Uh, blasphemy. Filthy communication, uh, lying, these things come natural to the flesh, and they are the opposite of an agape love. They are the opposite of charity. Funny how that we tell someone we love them, but then we turn around and lose our temper with them. Boy, I sure do love you. Have you ever uh, stopped to watch someone who's lost their temper just from an observational standpoint? Hey, and this could be said about me at times in my life. A funny exercise to do is pull up a YouTube video of someone who is just in a rage and turn down the volume. Just watch them. Watch as they're throwing things and acting the fool. You know what you look like? You look like a fool. That's not love. That's not showing agape, charity to someone. That's showing Anger, and the Bible tells us here where to put that off. Interesting how that people, um, uh, the people that we are supposed to love uh, the most know how wrathful we really are. Anger is the outward expression of wrath. Wrath is what's in the heart. I've met plenty of people who are wrathful and just the slightest thing sets them off. It's though they have a pool of emotion that's filled with toxic anger and the slightest drop of frustration that enters that pool. Boy, they just overflow and just spills out of them uh, uh, um, uh, this angry spirit. Um, I think about a preacher one time who preached a just a scathing sermon on how uh, anger and being angry is a sin and uh, the the, he, the closing prayer was said and the guest preacher was standing in the back and one man in the auditorium made a beeline to him and said, how dare you preach on that anger is not a sin. And the pastor looked at him and said, it seems to me, sir, that you have a wrathful spirit. He said, I don't have a wrathful spirit. He said, listen to your tone right now. It would seem that you do have a wrathful spirit. Oftentimes when we're wrathful and angry, we don't even really realize it. You know what would be good is if you're able to look someone in the eye who you can trust that knows you well and say, could you please be honest with me about who I am and how I am? And when they're honest, uh, uh, very forward with you, don't get your feelings hurt. Anger, wrath. Um, uh, 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 rather, we're not to put these things on. We're to put these things off. Uh, look down with me at verse number 19 um, uh, of Colossians 3. L- look there, it says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 
Do you see the contrast here between love and malice? Malice is bitterness. It's that hateful feeling. All of these things may come natural to us. But we have been told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if, that if we be in Christ, then we are made new creatures. New creatures. John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us that if we have believed on Him, Jesus, then we have become or been changed into the children of God, the sons of God. Uh, what does that mean? That means we're in a new family, and with a new family comes a new outfit. A new outfit. We are commanded to take off the robes of sin and figuratively put on a new wardrobe. Which garment sits at the center of the wardrobe? Which spiritual garment is the centerpiece of the Christian closet? Which outfit is the star of the Christian's clothes? Look down at verse number 14, Colossians 3:14. And above all these things, put on Charity, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We are above all things, we are to wear charity. You know what clothing is? Clothing is identification. Identification. Uh, there are times where people have walked up to me and said, are you a pastor? And I'd say, how do you know? And they'd say, you just have that look. And I said, what am I, fat? And, no, 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 the way you're dressed. Oh, oh Okay. Um, I've talked about how that um, you go to a country music concert, and what is everybody wearing at the country music concert? They've got a belt buckle that's the size of Texas, right? they got a cowboy hat on, and, and uh, they're faking a southern accent if they're from Connecticut, because they probably don't have a real one. Um, you know, what, what do people wear at a hip-hop concert? Uh, really baggy clothes and big ostentatious jewelry. Why? Because that identifies them. Your clothing identifies you. And Christian, figuratively, when people look at you, if I were to go to your coworkers, if I were to go to your neighbors, are they saying that you're a person who is figuratively put on charity? Or are you a person that wears vengeance well? Vengeance well. Charity's placement. The Bible says here in Colossians 3 that above all things that a Christian puts on, they are to wear the garment of charity. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verse number 13. This is a verse that has been plastered on walls of homes and made uh, into uh, decor uh, uh, for for a long, long, long time, decades or centuries. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, a beautiful verse. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is what? It's charity. You know why? This is the garment that Christians are to wear. It's placement. It's placement is number one. It's number one. You know what Christians are supposed to wear? They're supposed to wear faith. And they're supposed to wear it often. You know what else Christians are supposed to wear? They're supposed to wear hope. And they're to wear it often. But above those two garments comes the garment putting on of charity. Uh, uh, do people see you as a charitable, loving Christian? Number one, charity's placement. Number two, notice charity's preference. Charity's preference. Go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all 
and in all. Now, to us, those are just a bunch of difficult words to try to read. But can we understand for a minute that to the people, the church this was written to, these were, devi- these were uh, uh, defining f- fractions in the community at large. The Greeks didn't get along with the Jews. The, those, those, uh, those Jews who were circumcised, those circumcised males, they didn't get along with anyone who is uncircumcised. In fact, if you were an uncircumcised male in this new church era where circumcision and uncircumcision cease to matter anymore, uh, if you were uncircumcised, you were looked down upon, you were stepped on, you were treated like a second-rate citizen. In fact, uh, Paul would take uh, Timothy and he would circumcise him just so that would not be a stumbling block between him and those he was trying to reach. Why? Because uh, that was a problem. Uh, a, a barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Hey, there was a stepping on people who were who had chosen to be servants and chosen uh, to be bond slaves. Let me just say this quickly. Here is that we see slavery in the Bible. And uh, people have a hard time with slavery being in the Bible. I want to uh, just say a couple of things about this. Number one, people who were slaves chose to be slaves in the Bible. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't forced into slavery. Oftentimes it was a lifestyle choice. The Bible does not condone the type of slavery that happened in early America. In no way does the Bible ever condone the mistreating or treating a human being as though they are less than human. And uh, that is not condoned in the Bible. In fact, the Bible goes way out of the way, including in this verse, as if to say, listen, if someone has chosen the life of slavery or servanthood, you are to treat them with with kindness and respect and like a fellow human being. That's what charity does. Bond nor free. Why? But Christ is all and in all. You know what charity is? Charity is colorblind. Charity is colorblind. You know what else charity is? It's culturally blind. It's culturally blind. Uh, charity is also cash blind. It's cash blind. Charity doesn't care about how much money somebody has or doesn't have. Can I tell you some of the poorest people I've ever met are some of the richest people I've ever met? I've met some people who have more money than they know what to do with, and they are relationally they are as poor as it comes. The theme this year, there's really a slogan we could have attached to it, and, and I would encourage you to write this down. I heard someone say this one time, and I think it's just so great. Here's the slogan. Ready? Life is all about relationships. Life is all about relationships. Doesn't that seem to be what Scripture is telling us? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what? If this relationship right here isn't right, then all this is sour. This has got to be right first. Then it says this, love thy neighbor as thyself. Where is our affection this morning? Are we showing other people love? Hey, it doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what their cultural background is. I've heard people say, well, I just can't stand listening to someone uh, speak English with an accent. Hey, get over yourself. You know what? Uh, as someone who's learned a second language, I, I sure am glad people in the Spanish world don't treat me that way when I try to speak Spanish. Right? Brother Ben loves to give me a hard time, but he does it in Christian charity. Love doesn't, charity doesn't look at how much money someone has and decides whether or not we're going to be kind to them and love them. 
No, no, no. Charity prefers others. What is charity's preference? It's others. It's others. It's how can I put others ahead of myself? My goal this year is for each of us, for, rather for each of us, is that we will get to a place where we quit judging each other based on a person's appearance and even behavior for the purpose of distancing ourselves one from another. And instead, we take the approach that the more broken someone is, the more charity that person needs. The more broken someone is, the more charity that person needs. Why? Because charity's preference is others. A while back, I did a funeral service for Miss Marcia Anderson's mother, Miss Terry Peterson. Miss Terry attended here for just a short time before she passed away, and Miss Terry was one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Miss Terry would sit on the back pew, and she was in a lot of pain. She had a lot of medical struggles at the end of her life. But she'd sit there and smile, and, and, and when you shook her hand, she made you feel like you were the most important person walking planet Earth. When I sat down and talked with Marcia and her siblings uh, after she had passed away and I was preparing to do the funeral, I asked Miss Marcia to just share some stories and the, uh, the siblings to share some stories. And one of the things that was said about Miss Terry is that she'd go into a restaurant and she would, at, sitting there with, with servers, and she would look for the grouchiest person in the room and she would seek to make them smile before she left. You know what she was doing? She was showing charity. She was showing charity. She was saying, you're in a bad, foul mood, and I know it has nothing to do with me. I just walked in here. Before I leave, I'm going to make you have a better day. I'm going to prefer you ahead of myself. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 with me. and Look at verse number 4. And look how the Bible very poetically describes love in the form of charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. I'm reading this slow so it can sink in a little bit. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Look at verse 6. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but, or rather, rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. You know what charity does? It suffers long. Charity, it's kind. Charity's not jealous. Charity does not brag on oneself. Charity is not filled with arrogancy or a I'm better than you attitude. Charity is not ill-behaved. Charity is not easily offended by others' actions. Charity gives people around them the benefit of the doubt. Charity focuses and rejoices when it sees good in other people. Charity leads others to truth. Charity bears the burdens and hardships of others. Charity continues to believe in broken people when others have given up on them. Charity never ever loses hope. Charity endures hardships and stays with the broken until the end. Charity never ever quits. Why? 
Because charity prefers others over themselves. Aren't you glad that God's love never gave up on you? Aren't you glad that God's charity continued to prefer you ahead of himself over and over and over and over again until that charity reached your soul and saved your soul? Charity's placement, charity's preference. Number three, notice charity's purpose. Charity's purpose. Look back with me at Colossians chapter 3 and look at verse 12. It says there, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. You know what charity does? Charity looks out for other people. It has a purpose. Um, Brother Joe, put that next slide up there for me if you don't mind. Um, that's a picture of my hand. Actually, it's not, okay? Uh, that's just a picture of a hand I found on Google Images. All right. Why am I putting an x-ray of a hand up there? The hand is a very complicated uh, body part. There's a lot of bones there. Um, does somebody here offhand know how many bones are in the human hand? Somebody who teaches school? Claudia? Vara? Claudia knows everything. Where's Claudia? She's a walking encyclopedia. Do you know Claudia? She doesn't know. Wow. We found something Claudia doesn't know. Claudia has a humble spirit about her. She's not a know-it-all, okay? I'll make sure I make that clear. We love Claudia. Um, um, but the human hand has a lot of bones in it. You know, for every time you have two bones come together, two bones that come together is called a joint, right? I'm bending my fingers in a way that's, for the most part, pain-free. Now, if you look, there's a little gap in the joint. Now, please hear what I'm about to say here. That gap, in that gap, there is a fluid called synovial fluid. Synovial fluid. It has the consistency of egg whites, and its purpose is to reduce friction between the bones. Synovial fluid. It's there. Its purpose is to make sure that the bones don't touch each other. All right? They're close to each other, but they don't touch each other. Why? Because friction hurts. Friction hurts. If you don't believe me, uh, pull your pants up uh, when we get done with church and uh, do a slide on the carpet and let's see how much friction uh, your carpet burn can leave on your knee. It hurts. Friction hurts. Can I tell you what there is in, in church? There's a bunch of moving parts within the body of Christ. And can I tell you what that comes down to? It comes down to friction. Friction between brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need our own version of synovial fluid. And what is that? That is charity. Charity helps us to all put up with each other. You know what the truth is? I am a stinking, rotten, good-for-nothing, wicked sinner that's been saved by God's grace. And so are you. And you know what? If we don't learn how to show charity to each other, you and I are going to butt heads until the end of time. We have to learn what charity is and how to show it to each other. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians. Uh, you're in chapter 13. Now, uh, turn back over to chapter 12. I want to show you some things here. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians was written uh, as, uh, I believe it was five or maybe six rebukes 
uh, from Paul, who had founded the church of Corinth. And so the book of Corinthians really is, in essence, it's a grouping of six theses. And these six theses are six different uh, areas where he rebukes and reprimands the church because they're just doing everything wrong. One of the funniest things I've ever seen is a church in South Chicago. When I was doing my ministry work in college, I was in South Chicago. And there was a church in South Chicago named First Corinthians Baptist Church. I said, what? First, there, there's nothing positive about the church in First Corinthians. Why you would name your church that is beyond me. But First Corinthians, but from chapter 12 through chapter 14, what he is doing is he is addressing their misuse of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is used all the time and it's read all the time and it's printed out in a, a poetic fashions all the time, but people miss the context of what chapter 13 is for. Chapter 13 is put there in the middle of chapter 12 and 14 to help us understand how the spiritual gifts within the church are to function. If you don't believe me, look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Look down verse 4. Now these, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Within the church, and there's an application here that can be made to your home, there are many moving parts. Here at the church, we have a pastor. You know what I came to church focusing on this morning? I came to church focusing on the sermon that I'm preaching. There is Pastor Morales. You know what he showed up today focused on? His life group and the music ministry. Miss Cheryl Smith sitting down here. Can I tell you what she came to church focused on this morning? That the nursery functions and runs well. She's our nursery director. But Brother Kyle and Miss Angela. You know what they came to church focusing on this morning? The bus ministry. Our life group leaders. They showed up this morning focusing on their group lessons. Ushers. You know what their focus was when they came to church this morning? It was to making sure that the distribution of the materials was done in an orderly fashion. The Salinas family came to church this morning with a focus on the special music. All of these are moving parts within the church. Uh, uh, but Brother Salinas did not wake up this morning concerned about my sermon. He woke up this morning concerned that he was going to play the guitar right. I didn't wake up this morning worried about the guitar because I don't know how to play one. You know, well, the only thing I know how to play is the radio. I worked up, woke up this morning concerned about my message and that that would be right. And for all of us to get along, for all of us to be able to have our own focus and our own emphasis and come to church and make it work, we must show charity one to the other. Hey, Paul was saying here, you're a bunch of people who are going to get together and the Lord is doing a work of sanctification or cleaning you up in your lives. But And you're all at different stages within the church and you're going to get together and you're going to be together and this one's going to offend this one and this one's going to hurt this one. And you must learn to take the charity that I gave to you and you must distribute it to others so that you all can make this thing go. Otherwise, you're going to tear each other to shreds. Look at chapter uh, number uh, 14. Look at chapter number 14. 
And look at verse number 1. Again, chapter 13 lays out the importance of charity. Verses 1 through 3 go in and talk about how if you use your spiritual gifts without charity, you are nothing more than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 14. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Again, he's prefacing this talk about spiritual gifts with charity. Look at chapter 16 and look at verse 14. Chapter 16 and verse number 14. Uh, charity's purpose is so that we all can get along with each other. We all can love each other through our weaknesses in life. Chapter 16, verse 14. Let all your things be done with charity. All of them. All of them. Everything we do, we're to do with charity. Hey, instead of looking down the pew at the guy that's or girl that's in your pew and thinking, well, it's about time they showed up to church. They haven't been here in two months. How about you just go show, show them some charity? How about you love on them a little bit? How about you show them some agape love? Charity's placement, charity's preference, charity's purpose. Notice number four, charity's passion. Charity's passion. Look at chapter 3, verse number 13 of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 13. It says there, forbearing one another. Hey, some people, you come to church and you just love them and they're easy to love. Other people, you come to church and you forbear them. We all know, we've all known people that way. It's like, oh, there's that person again. You know what? Jesus loves them, and he wants to show them his love through you. Forbearing one another, and that next one, forgiving one another. How are we to do that? Boy, I've met some people that are really hard to love. I've met some people in my life that are so self-centered and they're so selfish that you just step back and say, how in the world, God, am I to forbear? How am I to forgive? Well, we get how in the rest of the verse. Look here. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Where does charity thrive? Where is it most clearly seen? Charity thrives when someone has offended you. That's where charity thrives. That's where we find out how charitable you are. Are you going to love or are you going to attack? Are you going to help resolve a situation or make the situation worse? Anyone can be kind to a kind person. Anyone can show humbleness of mind to someone who is humble. Anyone can be long-suffering to someone who rarely offends. But can you show charity to someone who has mistreated you? Can you follow Christ's example to forgive? First Peter chapter 4 in your Bibles. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8. I love First Peter 4, 8. I think it's just so well uh, written and, and so well explained here. I love what the word uh, fervent means in the verse. Look here. And above all things have, can we read those next two words out loud together? Ready? And above all things have fervent charity. One more time. Fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, quickly, this verse is not saying that we need to sweep someone else's sins under the rug. Where sin is, sin needs to be exposed and, and punished and, and, and all that. But when it comes to us and others, we are to love them through their sin. Love them past their sin. Help them get to a place where that is not part of their life. Now, notice there, above all things have fervent charity. That word fervent there means this. It means without ceasing continuously. Without ceasing 
continuously. You know what that means? We're to have a charity that never ceases. We're to have a charity that is uh, continuous, is uninterrupted. There is no interruption in the flow. How are we able to do such a hard deed? There's only one way to do it. And that's when we turn and we focus on the cross of Christ. And we realize that Jesus never stops loving us. No matter how broken we are. No matter how many times I offend Him. He just keeps on loving me. No matter how many times I have backslidden and turned my back and ran and failed Him. No matter how many times I have fallen into habitual sin and and messed up over and over and over again. While He has punished me, even His punishing of me has been charitable. Even His chastising of me has been done in a loving way. And we turn and we focus on a fervent, a passionate charity that never ceases from Him to me. And then we turn around and we look at those that are broken that God has put in our life. And we say, I'm going to love them through their struggle and agape love charity's passion number five and lastly notice charity's perfection charity's perfection look at verse number 14 of colossians 3 and above all these things put on charity look at how it's described here which is the bond of perfectness which is the bond of perfectness the word bond there means this it means to bring together to bind together To unite. It carries with it the idea of taking two fractured or broken items and fusing them together until they become one. Which is the uniting of perfectness. The the healing, the bringing to a point of perfectness. The root word translated bond here is the same word uh, word from which we derive our word sinew, sinew. What does charity have the power to do? Charity can take a broken situation, a broken relationship, a broken person, and can bring great healing. If there's one truth I want to drive home to you this year, uh, uh, to each of you this year, it is this. Love is, uh, love if pure enough, love if patient enough can take anyone, no matter how broken they are, no matter where they are, no matter how derelict they are, and can heal them. It can perfect them. We must love them with a love that is learned from above and is pure. We must love them with a love that is patient. So what is a property or characteristic of godly love? Well, it is charity. It is agape or divine love. It is selflessly loving others who are different than me. It is uh, uh, preferring and forbearing in the heart of others. Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray... My prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true. And know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new home in heaven's begun. May I forget 
the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like Thee. Lord, would You help us this morning to evaluate our love that we have toward You and toward the world around us. Help us to be charitable. Help us to follow through. Lord, may this church not be defined by strife. May this church, may, may this church not be defined by divisions or schisms. But may this church be defined as a place where your charity flows from one joint to the next. Help us, Lord, to love each other. Help us, Lord, to love the world around us. Help us to be people who are charitable in Jesus' name.